Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday morning, and... Um, um, the Stefanski family was very nice. They encouraged me to say, give a, a few talks here and there on the month of Ella and Rosh Hashanah matters. And it's very kind of them. And, um, try to take them up on it. Uh, I do want to thank, it's not a question of that. I want to wish a mouthful of Anyway, it turns out it's a good occasion because, uh, but Saul Stefanski's daughter, that would be Moshe and Shira Goldstein, just had a baby girl. Uh, so mouthful of yesterday. And uh, so that's Moshe and Shira Goldstein. And I want to wish the family, uh, obviously, a mazel tov. They should raise a chubba b'aisem togim. And as I always like to say, the uh, grandparents should have the zechus to dance at the girl's wedding. Um, so I do appreciate, I myself was a little bit in the blues, and uh, this will stir me up a little bit. Uh, whenever I have to give a talk about El or something like that, which had just started. So one of the things I do is I pull out the old books. Um, in this case, uh, I like the stuff from the 18th century, 17th, 18th century. That's who I am. Not necessarily did I say over what they say, but I find that it stirs my mind. Everybody's built differently. And I like Flecklis and, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Zarkheidlitz. These names from yesteryear that people don't remember anymore. And I find they kind of shake me up in a in a positive way. And they, this is the old school, where um, <laughs> you know things were pretty blunt. Um, for example, if you look at the uh, the, the famous for those who know what I'm talking about, the famous uh, safer of of Elazar Flecklis, who was, I guess you might say, the top student there to be Huda or up there, is uh, his Olas Chodesh, his Olas Chodesh Arisho. And there's Olas Chodesh Hashani. And then there's another one. And they talk about Elul and Rosh Hashanah and that sort of thing. Tishrei, you know. Uh, and he was a very talented speaker. But as they said before, the old school. So, in the nicey nice way, you say, Oh, Elul's on Nila Dodi, Vidodi Lee. And, you know, Ish Lareh Matos Abgenim. Nicey nice stuff, right? He said, I guess. Elul, Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed. Here's what it stands for. Im Lachayim, Im Lamavas. No batting around the bush with that one. He obviously got up in Prague. He said, in three weeks, four weeks, it's Nisanatoka, baby. Mila, mi yichya, mi lo yichya. Which is not a joke. Uh, it's, just a, it's just not an American way of talking. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Not an American way of talking. Uh, but he's not wrong. And we particularly know this in the corona environment. We've gone through some tough times in the last year. And now it might return. Who knows? Anyway, here's the point I wanted to bring up. This is an idea I've always had. I think many people are familiar, because I'm a historian, you know, so let me try to approach this in terms of history. What exactly is L? 
And better yet, what exactly is Rosh Hashanah? Now, um, Elul, you'll say like this, 40-40-40. As I always say endlessly, it was 40 days to get the Ten Commandments, notice the physical Luchos, and then he broke them. And then there's another 40 days to pray that God should not kill everybody. And then there's a third 40 days to improve that situation and to culminate in the Luchos Shneos. And the third 40 days is equal to Elul, Elul plus 10, which culminates in what you and I have come to call Yom Kippurim. So the reason it became Yom Kippur is because that is the day historically where God forgave the Jews, um, if not completely, but as completely as possible. And the reflection of that was the physical mitzvah of the second tablet, of the Lukoshnias. You see? That's the idea. Okay, so you explain why there's such a thing called Yom Kippur. But you didn't explain why there's such a thing called Rosh Hashanah. Because Rosh Hashanah is simply one day of those 40 days. This is an old question, the Ron. I don't know why only the Ron, but it's famously associated with the Ron in the back of the Gemara. Uh, people must have heard about it. And um, what I can tell you is that... Um, there's a, Well, let me read it. There's a famous Ron which goes on the Mishnah that everybody knows. And that is, it says there four times a year, this is a Rosh Hashanah. Barbara Prokin Beholam Nidon, the Pesach Al Tavua, Batseras Al Paris Elon. Right? Trees and plants and stuff like that. But Rosh Hashanah, and what you and I call Rosh Hashanah, meaning the first day of Tishrei, the Mishnah says, Call All the human beings get judged by God. Shine. So, why? So the Ron says very famously, Vyesh Lish Ol, Loma Odin Nidon, Rosh Hashanah, Yosem Mibshar Yaman. Now, Zvasep is the first of Tishrei. Bishlom Ashar Dvarim, Tvua Peris, Elon, Umayim, Kolecha Bismano Nidon. If you're talking about trees and all the rest of it, they get judged around the time of the year when they blossom or something like that, right? Kenarminen, Pesach Zmana Tvua, Atzer Zmana Peris, Elon, Chag Zman Gishmi Shana. No, is they're appropriate because of um, meteorological cycles, um, agricultural cycles is organic connection. But the human being has no thing like that. We're the same people all year. So why Rosh Hashanah? Knows why the first of Tishrei? Okay? I will order A famous question. The first answer that Ron gives, I think, is very well known. The second, which is much more interesting to me, is less well known. The answer that Ron gives... And the reason I say I'm not crazy about it is, but it's very well known, is that's the day of Adam and Eve when they were judged and found innocent to the degree that they weren't wiped out. So in other words, this is where you get the idea that Rosh Hashanah is not the day the world was created, but rather the day that Adam and Eve were created. If you follow through all the Midrashim and all that, they were created, they had children, and they ate from the apple or whatever they ate from, and were kicked out of Eden all in one the same day in the first Friday. Really, Adam should have been wiped out, but he, Asisi Tshuva Minispasharti, as he said, he did Tshuva. And, uh, Taka, you know, let's put it this way. And he was forgiven to some degree. So that day became Rosh Hashanah. This is really a Psikta, Psikta Rabbasi or something like that. 
which is pretty schwach as far as I'm concerned, because in other words, something like that ought to be in the Gemara. Six um, is rather a late text. But let it be. Right? Let it be. And then, what you're really saying is a... Um, what should I put it over here? Not a glory. This is a pessimistic vort. What you're saying is like this. Autumn reason they from the tree. They never got back to square one. But at least they weren't killed. They were given a chance to try to get back in the Garden of Eden. The history of the human race is one in which we're trying to get back to the Garden of Eden. The prospects don't look that great, but nevertheless. That's the idea. It's called Paradise Lost and Paradise Regained, or you try to regain paradise. Um, ever since then, Adam Rishon and his progeny are supposed to be trying to get back in the Gan Eden. Trouble is, once he created the Gates of Horror with the, eating the tree, however the mystics work all that out, then uh, it gets harder and harder. So, then it's not a romantic kind of Rosh Hashanah. It's a very realistic one in which it's a listen, you can never get back to square one, or it's very, very hard. But you want to know something? The perfect is the enemy of the good. You'll never get 100 on the test again. But if you get 90, you're doing pretty good. You're doing pretty good. So that's Rosh Hashanah. You know? Um, it, like I said before, it's not a glorious type thing. It's not an American type word. But that's what the Ron says. That's not, that's not the part I wanted to talk about. But then the Ron goes on to say, and incidentally, that's the reason that we have the custom, the Ron says, uh, you and I, uh, I'm assuming that you're Ashkenaz, I mean, I shouldn't do that, but you know, and we don't do Slichas the whole month, but only the last week. Why do you do Slichas the last week? That's the creation of the world. Because according to the Ron, if Adam and Eve were created on Rosh Hashanah, then the world was created, you know, six days before, or five days before, whatever you call it. And so the world started to be created in Chafael, um, you know, Yehi uh, Or and all that stuff. And that's when you start saying Slichos. Obviously, there's another month, another custom you do the whole month. I get it. But apparently, the idea of doing Slichos the week before is based on the idea, you know, something along those lines. Mind you, the Ron is a Svardi. But it's a mistake to say that there's something called the Sephardi Minhag. Spain was a big area, without boring you with the details of Castile and Aragon and all that stuff. And there were indeed, they were developed in in the Spanish Peninsula, various Minhagim. One of the most famous of the Chilukim is the one I'm talking about right now, which is some Sephardim started, got to custom, I think it was Saragossa or whatever, to do the whole month. And other places, they didn't do the whole month. So it's not just an Ashkenaz Sephardi thing, but it's become now, as far as I'm aware, all the Sephardim do the whole month. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. That's part of it. But then, and here's the interesting part to me, Duran said, well, what if you go with the idea that Benison never Olam? So then the story of Adam and Eve happened in Nisan, you know, something like that. So, uh, how do you explain all that business? Okay? How do you explain all that business? And so, he said, then you have to fall back, not on the creation of the world, knows the origin of Rosh Hashanah will not be based, what I mean by that is the origin of Rosh Hashanah being celebrated 
on the first of Tishrei will not be based on the Adam and Eve story. Because it didn't happen in Tishrei, according to the Mandamra says, Benisa Nivrolam. Okay? The Ron says. So then what's going on over here? What is going on? So he says, it'll have to be based on the golden calf business. The 40-40-40. So I'll repeat. If you go with the idea that Tishrei Nivrolam, the world's created in Tishrei, then you will try, Duran will try to explain the idea of Rosh Hashanah as the Yom Adin, which you and I know is not mentioned in the Chumash at all. The only place you have any mention of Rosh Hashanah's Yom Adin obliquely is in the book of Nehemiah, which is very late. Uh, but be that as it may, you'll, you'll tie to the Adam and Eve story. But if you say the other way, that the Nisa and the then the Adam and Eve story happened in Nisan. So what's that best right? So you have to tie it, as I said before, not to a story that goes back to the creation of the world, but rather to the story of the aftermath of the golden calf. So what's the shot? That doesn't work. As I said before, there's 40 and 40 and 40. So the third 40 starts on Rosh Chodesh El and ends on, um, what do you call it? Ends on uh, Yom Kippur. So what's the uh, Rosh Hashanah part? Right? There should be no Rosh Hashanah. Uh, it, it, it explains El, <laughs> but doesn't explain Rosh Hashanah. And mind you, you know, the Gemara itself never makes any mention of this, of the 40-44, but it does work out. If you do the numbers, it does work out. So here's the part that I like. The Ron says, Efshar owed so that is a fascinating notion. And even he has no basis for it whatsoever. Duran is obviously working backwards. He's guessing. And that's why he says Afshar. You know? Still, Duran is Duran. His Afshar is pretty good. And very suggestive, and suggests a certain scenario. And the scenario is that here's Moshe Rabbeinu who prayed for 40 days that God should not kill the Jews. That would take you from Shiva Sabatamas to the end of Ov. And then he went a third time up the mountain, and he said, uh, I want to make it better. Um... You want to make it better? What's shot? You want to make it better? You just say you're not going to kill us, but you don't like us. Let's let's try to make it that you like us again. Maybe not exactly the same way before, and that's similar to the Adam and Eve story. They did not get back Mamish into the Garden of Eden, but still second best. Like I say, not a hundred on the test, but an eighty-five or ninety. Okay. So Moshe started davening according to the scenario, on Rosh Chodesh For 30 days he prays and gets no response. That's just very interesting to me. Most people, if you daven and daven, you're, um, what's the right word? You daven and daven and you don't feel anything happening is a very depressing and kind of get turned off from the davening. I think that's a modern sensibility, but probably older. 
You want to feel something. Let's say, God forbid, there's somebody sick you know. You're dying, 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 and nothing, nothing, no improvement whatsoever. It's a bummer. Some people will continue to pray out of a sense of filial piety. You know, you feel like you're doing your Christ. You want to be able, if the patient goes, people say, well, listen, I dabbled up to the last minute. That's not the same thing, right? But here we're dealing with Moshe Rabbeinu, and he went up to Dobbin. This is interesting. It does not say the Jewish people went to Dobbin. Only Moshe did. And I think you couldn't get the whole Jewish people down in 40 days. That's too much for a person. That's not th- nothing for Hamon Am. That's for Yechide Segula. Okay? See, here Moshe is acting in the capacity, if I can use the expression, like a Hasidic Rebbe or something like that. You know, he's uh, working on behalf of the others. Because he can do it. You see? All he asks from the others is, don't screw me over, don't, me- don't stab me in the back, don't make a <laughs> Don't make another golden calf. That's the origin, at least midrashically. That's the only origin of the custom. It's not a din, the custom to blow the shofar in Elul, where it says, you know, he was afraid while he's up there doing his thing, downstairs they'll go and, uh, you know, and they'll make another golden calf. I mean, let, let me put it this way. How do you think, you tell me, how do you think Moshe felt after being there 40 days and 40 nights in a scary uh, situation, getting the Torah from Shavuos to Shavuos and working his head off and so on and so forth. And if you go like the Chazals, it was frustrating because he tried to master it all. He couldn't master it all. If you look at the Medrashim Kisiso. And after all that hard work and bringing down the thing, turns out they stabbed him in the back by making a golden calf. Now as much as I say this, what I waste my time up here for 40 days and 40 nights for? You get what I'm saying? Aside from the existential tragedy of the fact that Claudius Yisrael made a golden calf and did a sin, there's the personal frustration tragedy. Moshe I guess, I busted my head off to try to work on behalf of these people, and all the time it was a waste of time because they were plotting and they made a golden calf. So in order for this not to happen again, right? So Moshe said, blow the chauffeur all the time and remind yourself, don't make a golden calf. As we all know, that's the story. So Moshe prays for 30 days and gets no results. He doesn't see the meters are then switching Mr. Rahman. Now, mind you, he was successful in the second 40 days in persuading God not to kill the Jews. But there's a difference between kill it, not killing and having what we call dvekas and something positive. There's what you call a negative relationship with God and a positive relationship with God. Some people, by the way, Davin that way, they say, listen, Brian Shalom, you know, just give me the health and the wealth, and I, and I won't bother you. <laughs> you don't bother me, I don't bother you. Right? So what they're really saying is, I don't need a relationship with God. I'm just aware. I'm a believer. I know God runs the show. I'm relying on him for the parnosa. I'm relying on him for the gizun and for the children. So that's why I'm davening every day, because I have to pay my dues. Uh, and I'm willing to do it. Right? I'm, not a, I'm not an unbeliever. I'm willing to do it. But that person is very far removed from what you would say, Anila Dodi with Dodi Lee, you know, from Dvekas, from the idea of saying, no, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to feel, you know, close to you as I possibly can. I'm always working on uh, getting closer. No. That person simply said like this, my acre stuff is down here in the gosh mystical world, although I'm not stupid enough to think that there's not a Rukhni's component to it. Therefore I say, 
I punch the clock every day. I do my mitzvahs. I keep the Shabbos. In order that you should keep supplying me with the health and wealth and so forth. And, you know, fine. Now, Moshe Benu, during the 30 days of El, which is when we're in there right now, is davening a way to try to break this and get back to a more intense relationship, but a Dvekas type relationship. And he gets no response. Right? He gets no response. I'm telling you now the scenario according to the Ron. And then, after 30 days, he starts to feel a response. You know, he feels an opening. He ain't there yet, but he feels an opening. And that gives him the encouragement, the impetus, to dive away for another 10 days. And on the 10th day, he finally gets the full business that he wanted, and he gets the Lukoshnius. If that's true, then the first day of Tishrei was a breakthrough. Right? It's a very spiritual type of interpretation. It's a breakthrough. Moshe Rabbeinu, as only he could, felt and perceived something has changed. The ice has started to break. Right? Now, the ice starting to break is not the same thing as, you know, a full breakthrough. It's a beginning. Which means that Moshe was quite a guy. Because for 30 days he plugged away at it with no sign whatsoever that he was making any headway. You understand? Do, do you follow what I'm saying? There are two ways of understanding the, the, the 40 days. One is to say, and I'm sure others must say this, that Moshe started in Moshkodesh um, Elul and plugged away for 40 days. And each day, I'm just making this up, each day, he tutored a 40th, right? He felt a percentage. So let's say after the first day of diving, Moshe felt things are starting to move, but I got a long way to go, baby. A long way to go. Because to get where I need, I need 39 40ths more. And so the second day, he did another percent or two. And the third day, another percent or two. So each day, he felt he's making headway, but it's a long, hard process. Because the Averas were very big. So you had a lot to clean up. A lot to clean up. It's a little bit along the idea, like when they cleaned up the base of Migdash after it was defiled several times. It says it took them a long time. Each day, you're moving away a certain amount of junk. Right? Each day, you're moving away a certain amount of junk. But you got a long way to go. Sometimes we call Pesach cleaning, <laughs> depending on who your house is. Um, that's one Mahalach. Duran is saying something quite different and very interesting and very suggestive as a possible historical scenario because he says it's absurd. And that is, Moshe Rabbeinu felt nothing the first day and nothing the second day. He's making no progress at all, which is very depressing. And for an average guy, you'd give up because that's how human beings are. You just give up. Uh, that might be a reason why they blew the show for every day. This, you know, the the, the matter says in a negative way, don't make a golden calf. I would like to think of it more in a positive way, which is, you know, support your local Moshe Rabbeinu. You see? He needs the backing, the moral backing of Kali Yisrael to keep plugging away. 
And um, then, after 30 days of nothing, finally comes the beginning of a breakthrough. So in other words, it wasn't a vort of a 40th, a 40th, a 40th, but 10%, 10%, 10% over 10 days. Or some other percentage. You know, I wasn't there. Dr. Ron, if you understand it that way, the Rosh Hashanah, the day that you and I celebrate today, is the day of the beginning of the breakthrough. If that's true, it's a very interesting way of thinking about Rosh Hashanah. Because what it's saying is like this. You and I put in 30 days. Well, now these are customs that have evolved. So we're just following by rote. But the idea behind it is we're plugging away during the 30 days of El. And then the last 10 days comes the breakthrough. But the breakthrough didn't come all at once. The breakthrough happened progressively over 10 days. That's what we call the Aseris Mechua. No, this would explain concept of the Aseris Mechua. Now, I repeat, Duran's working backwards, but it's, it's a way of doing it. It's a way of analyzing it. And um, in, if that's the case, then that would be the significance of Rosh Hashanah, which is not necessarily the day that you're totally forgiven, because even though we say Hashanah to that's just optimistic. I don't think most people feel that after Rosh Hashanah, they're already holding by Tadi Gomer, you know. You know, theoretically, the one who's already on Rosh Hashanah is Nechtam Nechtam Lato Lachaim. You know, you don't need Yom Kippur. The only thing is, you don't know. But let's say, for example, you know, a petek fell from heaven and landed in your lap and said, guess what? You hit the jackpot. This year on Rosh Hashanah, your feelings were so successful that your tzaddik and you didn't say like this. I'm leaving. I don't have to be here for Yom Kippur. <laughs> I don't have to be here for Yom Kippur. They could start a shul for all the saints. Instead of Yom Kippur, you just have a half hour dominic chakras. <laughs> right? After all, we don't need it. The rest of you are losers. We're the winners. We don't need it. But nobody knows that, so you do it anyway. I'm sure there must be some people out there who are self-satisfied, arrogant, and puffed up, and they think, oh, really? I don't need the Yom Kippur. Man, I don't know. Anyway, this is what the Ron says. And what it means is that when you and I, the average person, go on Rosh Hashanah, you say like this. It's not a... I mean, today's Yom Adin, but it's really the beginning... This is emphasizing more than anything else the beginning of the 10-day process, which is a way of understanding uh, Rosh Hashanah. Because Rosh Hashanah could be Yom Hadin, or it can simply be the, the, the first of 10 days, because if you hold a Yom Kippur, then it's not Yom Hadin, it's the beginning of the Din. Right? The Din concludes on Yom Kippur. I'm not going like the Kabbalists. Push it. The Din concludes on Yom Kippur, it only commences Rosh Hashanah. So come to Christ, a very interesting difference. If you hold Betishrei Nivra Olam, according to this Ron, then you say, no, Rosh Hashanah is Yom Hadin. That's the Adam and Eve were forgiven, at least, you know, to the degree they weren't killed. And that's the day you can be Zohar Bedin, just like Adam and Eve. If you hold Nisan Tivri Olam, the Rosh Hashanah is simply the beginning of the Aseris Mechuvah. So it's a question of emphasis. And to my mind, this difference in the emphasis is kind of cool. Fleckless says, again, I just pulled it up in the thing, if you do Anila Dodi Vidodi Lee, 
Each one ends up in a year. That's four times year. That's forty days. So it's the back door of Anila Dodi Vidodi. The back door, which sounds a little bit more like the, like the uh, second opinion in the run. Uh, you know, Anila Dodi Dodi Yud 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 gives you forty days. Um, remember, even then they got the Luko Shneos. Moshe Rabbeinu was not able. Well, how should I phrase it? I'll bet you. I, look, I don't know. I wasn't there. I, I, I think that when Moshe went up that thirty time, that third time, his goal was to reconstitute the Luchos Rishonos. After all, God can do anything. So he broke them up into pieces. So Hashem could do Bam Shazam, and then all the pieces would come together seamlessly, and Moshe would once again behold the first tablets. He smashed them, but now became unsmashed. Like you watch a movie, remember, you know, you can do, you like at a wedding, you know, you can play it backwards. You play the movie backwards. And instead of the guy falling down, you see him falling up again. So Moshe, I'll bet you, had in mind that he'll dominate away and he'll get the Luchos um, Rishonis back. Of course, he was informed. That's not going to happen, baby. Instead, of I'll give you Luchos This is very much realistic in for you and I on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur because theoretically, everybody Dobbins, can we make things go as if I hadn't done any since this past year? And sometimes you can get forgiven if you do that right. Being forgiven doesn't mean you go back to square one. No, let's put let, let's put it this way. Now I'm going to sound real from, even though it's not my intention, but uh, I'll do like a mashkiach. Let's say a guy was mavatal a lot this past year. And then he has a very good, you know, El and Aseris Mechubel, and he really repents, Harot Alavar, Kabbalah Asi, and all that business. You know? So fine. He will not be punished, you know, for, for the Bittal Torah. But it's not like he learned, you know what I mean? It doesn't mean you get back magically the Torah that you didn't learn. It sounds a little too from, but I think you know what I'm saying, right? I'm taking myself back to the old days. It doesn't mean you get back to what it was before. Meaning that you magically somehow or other replace what you never did in the first place. It just means you don't get punished. Um, so these are very realistic ways of uh, thinking about Rosh Hashanah, in my opinion, especially about the month of El. Uh, and so, I think I said enough for now. You get the idea. If you're interested in what I said, go look at it, Ron. If you think it through, it's actually, in my opinion, productive of a lot of original insights into Rosh Hashanah, which gets past the, just the glittering generalities. I want to thank again the Stefanzis for encouraging this. And... Um, and I wish them a, a mazel tov. And with that, this time, I really close this down and wish everybody a good Shabbos. I hope to be in liquid, as I said, for Shabbos. And uh, have a good year. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.com support.rabbidavidkatz.com